0: Well, as Tim just said, this is one of like the best days out of the year for our church, I, I personally believe. Um, outdoor baptism, we're all heading out to Gibsonburg, White Star Park after this service. And so let me just say, you know, if you guys don't know anybody who's being baptized, you're like, ah, I don't really know if I want to go. You should go, all right? Um, it's a good, you know, we're, we're supposed to be a family, a church family. We're supposed to live life together and do life together and uh, spend some time with us. Spend some time with your church family. You've got food out there. It's free. And uh, just hang out. Have a good time. It's fun to watch people growing in the relationship with God. And so we get to watch that as well. Uh, We're in our series called Making Sense of God. And uh, really the series is designed to answer questions to those people who are skeptical of Christianity. Now in the past uh, 10 years or so, I've had a lot of opportunities to talk to people who uh, just flat out don't believe in God. I got friends, pers- you know, good friends that uh, are atheists and would say God doesn't exist. And it seems like the biggest problem that skeptics have regarding God revolves around the fact that bad things happen in this world, right? It's the question of how can God be all-powerful and all-good? That doesn't make any sense in, in, our, in our minds. Um, have you guys ever noticed that bad things happen once in a while? Some people, yeah, okay, they happen, right? Um, we, life doesn't go the way that we want it to. Uh, life is kind of, of a pain sometimes. Have you, have you guys ever asked the question, why? Why? Why is this happening to me? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's just like, come on, what's going on? Last week I was here at church and I'm in the bathroom, all right? So just hold with me for a second. I'm in the bathroom washing my hands because I'm a good person, okay? So I'm washing my hands and I'm looking in the mirror and... I notice this, like, really long white hair. And I'm like, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, I'm not even 30 yet. Okay, almost 30. I'm not 30 yet. And I'm going, I'm too young for this. Like, this isn't supposed to happen until, like, 100, you know? I don't know what's going on. And, and I'm looking at it, and it's not coming, like, out of my hair. It's coming out of my ear. Awful. I'm just like, why? Why is this got to happen? Why, why, why do we, you know, why does this have to happen... You know, in the first place, it's just, why, God, what's going on with this? Um, you know, we all recognize that there are much worse things that happen in this world than you growing a long white hair. By the way, I pulled that thing out as fast as I could because it's, so it's not there anymore. Thank goodness. But uh, a lot of bad things happen in this world, way worse than that. Um, you know, we, we look around and there's so many things that just seem to go wrong, Right? Uh, hurricanes. Just the past couple of weeks, we had the hurricanes hitting Texas and Florida, and we hear stories, we watch the news, and people died. And we're going, you know, why? Why would God do that? Why would God destroy all this stuff? Why would God allow this stuff to happen? Or just on Monday was the 16th anniversary of 9/11 and the terrorist attacks. And uh, if you're like me, like I'm sitting there, I'm watching TV because a bunch of the networks they have specials on, and and I'm hearing the stories, I'm watching footage of that day. And it's easy to ask the question. You're just like, why did this have to happen? Why did all of these people have to die? Or maybe a loved one close to you has died recently. I know in our church, just this past week, we've had two people pass away. And uh, maybe you're going through this right now where you're just like, yeah, this is terrible thing's in my life. And you're feeling that right at this moment. Or why would God allow a baby to be born with a disability? Or why would God allow nations to go to war where innocent people end up dying? Or, you know, what about all the injustices in this world? Or why are there epidemics where people get sick and and there's terrible diseases that, you know, have pain? And why do we have to have that? Or why is there evil? Why is there suffering? You know, the truth is that we're all going to get the call in the middle of the night sometime with bad news. Or the words cancer or divorce is going to enter into our life. Some tragedy is going to come unexpectedly. Uh, That's that's how life is. And so as I'm talking with skeptics, the question is, you know, the most widely used argument against God is simply this. If God could prevent terrible tragedies, then why does he allow them to happen in the first place? Okay, that's a valid question. All right, why would he allow that? And it's really a classic, it's a classic argument. It's, it's... Skeptics they view it as it's either A or B. It cannot be both. It's either God is all powerful, but He's not all good, therefore He doesn't stop evil, or God is all good, but He's not all powerful, therefore He can't stop evil. And our general tendency is to blame God for everything that goes wrong in this world, and and, and people think you know if God is good and loving, why does He prevent evil? Really, the problem. Um, in that question is really it's based on a false premise uh you know people who say this are really saying that god does not meet their criteria for goodness okay when we say that we're saying god does not meet our criteria for goodness and the very question is suggesting that god is not all good i mean who's determining that well i, I, I am actually you know, in my opinion, I feel like God should do this. Or in my opinion, I feel like God should not have done that. And when we do this, we're making ourselves the moral center of the universe. And that's a problem because we are evil people. We do things wrong. We're not 100% perfect. We're not 100% moral. So let's say God is good. Let's just, let's just throw that out there. The next part of that premise is this. Then why, if God is good, then why does he allow evil? Why allow it? Why have it here? Right, you must remember that uh, mankind was created perfect. Like when God, think about it, when God created mankind, I mean, they had it, Adam and Eve, they had it going on, right? They, they, the original state, they were innocent, ageless, they were immortal. And they had the ultimate setup in the, in the garden. Really, got, Adam's job description was basically God saying, hey, go out, check out what I've made. It's pretty cool. Enjoy it. And then maybe in the evenings, we'll, like, I don't know, talk about it. That's pretty sweet, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if that's how it was today? That's how it was back then until we messed it up. And, you know, next thing you know, Adam and Eve, they're eating the fruit from the tree, which God told them just to stay away from, but they're doing it anyway, and sin entered into the human race. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Really, the point to keep in mind is that humanity, not God, is responsible for sin. Well, well, okay, then why didn't God make us incapable of sin? Why didn't He just have them in the garden, make them incapable? They couldn't. They weren't allowed to sin. Well, think about this. If God hadn't given us our free will, then we would be just like I don't know, puppets on a string. You know, robots. That's not true love. We all understand how true love works or a true relationship. It's a two-way street. It's got to come both ways. Both parties have to say, yeah, I want a relationship with you. Yeah, I want a relationship with you. Okay, we have a friendship. We have a relationship. That's how, that's how it works. You can't force somebody into a relationship. You can't force somebody to love you because that's not true love. See, God wants to be loved by creatures who choose to love him. And so he had to give us a choice. Okay, so, so we have free will and we have a choice. So why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And I feel like that's the real question. It's not suffering. I, we, think about it, we, um, we allow suffering in our life. We're, we're okay with suffering in some instances. Because it's funny when we see someone get punished for doing something wrong, especially when they're doing something wrong against us, right? We're like, yeah, good. It's what you get. It's what, do you, it's what you deserve. You deserve that punishment or you deserve that consequence for what you chose to do. All right, we think of that. Or, or when someone lives an evil life and they hurt those around them for a long time and, and it finally all catches up to them and we see them suffering, we're like, yeah, they deserve that suffering. That's what they deserve. Although, by the way, none of us view ourselves as those people, right? Because, yeah. See, we understand the idea of suffering and we accept the idea of suffering. The real question is, is why do bad things happen to good people? And that's where the story of Job comes in. The story of Job is my favorite story in the entire Bible. I love it. Um, I'm all about the story of Job. When I do in student ministries, I'll cover the story of Job in six weeks. And so I am kind of bummed that i got to cram it all into one message. But, um, man, there's so much good stuff. I would encourage you to go home and read the book. All right, it's kind of long, and there's some, there's some long stuff in there when Job's friends and him are, are talking. You could skip that. I'm, uh, I'm a pastor, I'm telling you. You could skip that, that's okay. Read the good, you know, read, the, read God and, um, yeah, the, story that we'll t- the stuff that we'll talk about later, I guess. But read the book, it's a good story, and it teaches us a ton. Um, so I'd encourage you to do that, but it's maybe the oldest story or the oldest book written in the Bible. A lot of people believe that it was written before Genesis, although Genesis talks about older stuff. But um, So it's an old, old story, and through this true old story, God teaches us to have a different perspective when it comes to suffering in this world today. Uh, see, Job, he's a righteous man, and things start off great for Job. Job, he's got this sweet, special relationship with God, and, um, and he's, a, he's a righteous, and he's a godly man, and things begin well for Job. The Bible tells us that he's got seven sons and three daughters, and, uh, and he loves them. He's got a great family. Uh, he's, he's also extremely rich. The Bible tells us that he's got three, or 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a sea of servants. Just tons of servants. And uh, while that might not mean much today, it'd be like if you open Forbes magazine and they're describing wealth. And uh, they would describe wealth in like, well, they got a house, you know, on the beach here in Florida, and they got a house here in California, and they got a house here, a house here. Or maybe it's, you know, properties, or maybe they describe wealth in, well, look at this collection of vehicles that this guy has, or maybe it's uh, how many businesses they own. You know, that's how we describe wealth today. But back then, it was described in livestock. And so the 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, this was like inconceivably rich. This guy's like, this dude's like the Bill Gates of that day, all right? He's the, he's, the, he's the richest, he's the most wealthy, wealthiest guy around. Bible says he's the greatest of all men of the East. And unlike some rich people today, not all, but some rich people, Job was extremely humble. Bible says that he turned away from evil, that he feared God. Bible tells us that his sons and daughters would hang out and they'd have parties together and, and spend time with each other as they should, that's good, and um, that uh, the next morning... Job, he would offer sacrifices to God just in case maybe one of his sons or daughters, without knowing, accidentally sinned against God. He thought about that stuff all the time. He was extremely sensitive to sin and doing wrong. See, Job was an extremely godly man. He was an extremely successful man. And everybody around noticed The Bible says that one day the angels, they came to resent themselves before the Lord, and actually Satan tagged along with them, which is interesting. Job chapter 1, verse 7 says, The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord, and he said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now, when I read this verse as I was preparing, it really got me thinking. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm wondering like right now, because this is the, really the scene that's going on God's sitting on his throne. And well, let's say Satan showed up in the throne room of God. And, and what would God say about me like today? You know, if this was happening right now up in heaven, what would God say about me? You know, I don't really want to think about it. You know, it's clear here that God is extremely proud of Job. You know, think about that to yourself. Like, what would God say about you? God knows your innermost, deepest thoughts. How would God define you? Would God be proud of you? You know, I think about that for myself, and I'm like, yikes, probably not. You know, we that have heard this story before, maybe you've been in church for all your life, I don't know, um, You're thinking, oh, yeah, this is the story where Satan goes up to heaven and then Satan asks God if he can, like, start messing up Job's life and stuff like that. Actually, it's not what happened here. It's actually the exact opposite going on here. God is the one who mentions Job first, right? God's the one saying, hey, Satan, check out Job. Right? Can you picture this moment? Like, God is sitting in this throne room. Bible tells us other places that there's angels all throughout the throne room, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're they're singing it and singing it and singing it. They're praising and worshiping God. Satan comes in, and maybe the angels notice. I don't know. If I were an angel, I'd be like, I'm going to worship God extra hard today, you know, just to rub it in Satan's face. And so maybe they're doing that. I don't know. And I picture Satan, he's kind of off in the corner somewhere, whining, you know, complaining to himself, and... And God looks over, and I bet God is smiling. God looks over and says, hey, where you been? Satan answers him, and then he's like, hey, just throwing this out there. Have you noticed Job? You know, I don't know. Satan's probably been trying to trip Job up for years. You know, have you seen Job? It's funny because Satan knew exactly who Job was. This is how Satan responds in verse 9. He says, and Satan answered answered the Lord. He says, Does God fear, or does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you. Notice he says he will surely curse you. Not just curse you, but he would curse you to your face, God. Satan's like, God, are you kidding me right now? Do you actually believe that if you hadn't given him all this wealth, if you hadn't made him so successful that he would actually still be worshiping you? He's like, no way. Of course he's going to worship you. Look, you've protected him. You've given him, you've made his life so good. God, I dare you, give that all away and see what happens. He'll curse you, God. He wouldn't just curse you. He'll curse you to your face. And God's there and God's, you know, like, oh, well, Okay. You may do that, but you may not touch Job. One day, Job, he's hanging out at his house and uh, sitting on his porch or something. You know, I don't, he's doing whatever extremely rich, extremely godly people do during that day. He's sipping on his sweet tea on his porch, you know, doing his devotional book, you know, reading his Bible or, you know, praying, whatever. He's, he's doing his thing, and... Uh, the you know the way I picture it is he, he looks off in the distance and there's this servant running as fast as he possibly can. Job's like okay that's weird what's going on over there, and this guy gets up he's like Job Job you wouldn't under, you, you won't believe me, but some robbers they came and they they stole all of your camels and they killed they killed all of your all of your servants they're all dead and and you know I'm the only one to, that has left to you know I'm the only one left that has escaped. While he's still talking, another servant comes running up. He's like, Job, guess what? Some war robbers, they came and they took all of your donkeys and all of your oxen. They killed all of your servants and I'm the only one left. While he's still talking, another servant comes running up. He's like, Job, I I couldn't believe it with my own eyes, but fire literally fell from heaven and it burned up all of your sheep and all of your servants that are with them. I'm the only one left that has survived. And picture what Job's going through. All this is happening in an instant. All the, he's got three servants coming up. They're telling him all this stuff. And Job's like, wait, wait, what? What's going on? Wait, you hold up. What did you say again? You know, he, he's, he's like, what? He's in shock. He doesn't understand what's going on. And then the worst one, another servant comes running up. He's like, Job, I got like terrible, terrible news. I was at your, your son's house, and, and there was this, this big storm that just came up out of nowhere. And it blew your son's house down. And I looked, and all of your sons and all of your daughters and all the servants that are there, they're all dead. I'm the only one that survived it. Job's life turns upside down. He loses his wealth. He loses his servants. He loses his children. All in an instant. Makes me stop right there and I'm like, all right, so let me get this straight. God is super proud of Job. Job's a righteous guy. He's super proud of him. He's so proud that he has this conversation about Job with Satan. And then all this happens to him. makes me think, you know, I'm like, shoot. God, you know, if you are like, ever just a tiny bit proud of something in my life that maybe I'd I done, you know, if you're ever just a little bit proud of me, please keep that to yourself. And you know, it's like, don't tell anybody. You know what I mean? This is terrible stuff that's happening. What's Job's response here in verse 20? All right, this is the key. It says, then Job arose. He tore his robes And he shaved his head and he fell to the ground. It's interesting because as you're reading this, he fell to the ground. You know Satan's there, right? Satan's like waiting. He's like, oh yeah, here we go. This is what I'm waiting for. Prove God wrong. And he says, and he fell to the ground and he worshiped. What a reaction. All right, when he tears his robes, really back in that day in that culture, that was the most emotional. Um, demonstration, most emotional response that you could possibly do. Basically what he's doing is he's staring at his robes, crying out. He's saying, he's showing everybody, I am in, in extreme emotional pain here. He's, and, and he worshiped God anyway. And I think a lot of times we look at a guy like Job in the Bible and we're like, well, he's a Bible character. Of course he's going to do that. That's in the Bible. You know, that's how they're going to act. That's, he's a Bible character. No, this is a true story. you gotta, you got to put this into context. A real guy, I don't think this was easy for Job by any means. I don't think this is easy. He's tearing his robes. He's showing everybody he's in extreme emotional pain. I'm sure he's crying. And maybe through like gritted teeth and he's just like, oh, you know, he just can't believe it. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Now we, we usually don't respond like that. He's lost everything. Soon after, uh, the Bible tells us that angels, they come to present themselves before the Lord again. And Satan actually tags along again. It's like the same scene going on. And uh, the Lord's up there. He's sitting on his throne. And he looks over at Satan and he, say, he, he says the same question. He's like, hey, Satan, have you considered Job? Hey, 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 do you remember that Job guy? It's funny. You know, just think of that. God's kind of rubbing that in Satan's face. Hey, he didn't curse me. He worshiped me. He's like, hey, have you considered Job? And it's like Satan has his answer ready. You know, he, Satan goes, well, skin for skin. Basically, hey, Job only cares about himself. Notice you didn't allow me to touch his body. You didn't allow me to touch his health. He only cares if he feels good and he's not in pain, he's all good. He doesn't care about anybody else around him. He's like, God, I dare you, if you took away his health, I bet he'd curse you. And I bet he wouldn't just curse you, but I bet he'd curse you to your face. And again, same thing. God says, you know what? Okay. But you may not take Job's life. And so the Bible says that uh, Job got, uh, he developed these big boils on his skin, which is a real, you know, it's it's a thing. You should, don't look it up on Google, all right? It's these boils all over his skin developed, and they're extremely, extremely, extremely painful. The Bible says that maybe the worst case scenario ever, he has it from the crown of his head all the way to the bottom of his feet. He's just covered. He probably can't see right, probably can't talk right. He's in constant pain. Actually, Job, he moves out to the city dump, that's where all the sick people would go because, you know, you don't want other people getting infected with stuff. And so he has to go out to the city dump. And the Bible calls it sitting among the ashes where people would dump their ashes. And he actually finds a piece of a clay pot and he starts scraping these boils off of his skin. Because that's how much pain he is experiencing. That that is better than just sitting there. He starts scraping these off of his skin and he's in extreme pain. Actually, his wife comes by, and his wife, his wife visits him, and she says, You know what, Job? You know what you need to do? You need to just curse God and die already. Like, you need to do something so that would offend God so bad that he'll just kill you on the spot. That's what you need, because, because this living isn't living. Like, like, it's better to die than to live in this case. You just need to get it over with. Let God kill you already. And she's asking the same question that we ask. She's asking, why? Why is this happening? This doesn't make any sense. This doesn't seem fair. Why? And I feel like a lot of times we look at her and we're like, wow, she's an evil person. But think of what she's just lost. She's lost all her wealth. She's lost all her children. Her, she's lost her reputation. Her husband is sitting in the city, basically garbage dump scraping boils off of his skin in extreme pain. She doesn't understand why this is happening. She doesn't know what to do. And actually, check out Job's response here. to her. He says, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. By the way, men, I would not use that one. I don't think that's a good line. (laughs) But, uh, you know, Job's going through a lot, so we'll give him a pass. But yeah, she probably slapped him after that. I don't know, but you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? See, Job's saying, Hey, I we accepted the good from God. We accepted all God's good gifts. But then when something bad happens in our life, we don't want to accept that. Isn't that funny? Because that's how we view life. That's how we do life. It's like, hey, God, think about it. I don't know. Maybe 90% of our prayers, it's like we're asking God for something. You know what I mean? Like, hey, God, help me out with this. Hey, I really need help on this this week. Hey, if you could do this for me, that would be great. Hey, protect this person. Hey, watch over, you know, my kids. Or, you know, we ask God for all this stuff. And think about it. God gives to us, maybe not everything we ask for, but God gives He gives way more than we could ever understand, right? I mean, he does. Every breath is a gift. You know, we can't even comprehend how much God has given us. And so God gives. And Job's pointing out the fact, he's like, hey, you know what? We don't like it. we, We love accepting God's gifts. We love that. But then when God takes one of our gifts away from us, we're like, whoa, God, you can't do that. Then we start questioning his existence. I don't know if God exists because he took this gift away from me. Or how could God be good if he took this away from me? See, that's how we view it. That's what Job's pointing out. He's like, no, you have to accept both. We accepted all the good, and now we have to be able to accept the bad. When God allows something bad to happen in our life, we need to be able to accept that. Actually, Job's friends, they hear what happened and they go to visit him. And the Bible tells us that they didn't even recognize Job. Like when they came up on Job, sitting among the ashes in the city dump, they're just like, sure that's Job? I don't know. That's some other guy. You know, they don't even recognize him. And the Bible says that one by one, they uh, start accusing Job of doing something terribly wrong. Okay, because they're like, Job, this... You must have done something really bad because they're asking the same question that we ask and that Job's wife is asking. They're asking, hey, how could God allow such bad things to happen to such a good person? And So when we ask that question, we're thinking, well, you know, or maybe not us, but when skeptics ask that question, what they're thinking is, well, then God's not good. God must not be good. Or maybe God doesn't exist at all. But these guys, they believe in God. And so these guys are reasoning it a different way. They're like, well, God wouldn't allow something something so bad to happen to a good person. And so they start saying, well, the thing has to give, maybe Job's not as good of a person as we thought. And so they start accusing Job of doing something terribly wrong. They're like, hey, Job, what the heck did you do um, to do, what, what What terrible, terrible thing did you do to deserve this? Because God would never do this to someone who's good. What did you do? And, and they start accusing him of doing some, committing some major sin, and and Job, he starts defending himself. I mean, Job's like, hey, I didn't do nothing. I I can't think of anything that I've done, anything terrible. Job's like, I try to follow God. I got this special relationship with God. I don't know why this is happening. I don't think I did anything. Job's defending himself, and they start getting angry with each other. And, and finally, Job's at his breaking point. I mean, think about what he's lost. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his reputation. He's lo- his wife is just telling him to die because that's better. He's, his friends are accusing him of doing something terribly wrong. He's lost his children. He's in constant pain. And he's sitting there in the city dump, the city dump among the ashes. And Job starts asking, he starts crying out to God right there. And he's just like, why? Why is this happening to me? What is going on? And, and he actually gets a little bold, and he's saying, God, this is, not, this is not fair. Look what's going on in my life, God. Look what you're allowing to happen in my life. This is not fair. And he gets so bold to say, God, you know what? You know what I'd like to do if it was possible? God, I would like to take you to court because I think I'd win. This is not fair, and this is not Right? The next chapter is like the, one of the best chapters in the entire Bible because God shows up. Um, that's not something that you, you say to God really. And it's one of the best passage, passages, Job 38, by the way. If you don't want to read the whole book of Job, at least read Job 38 through 42. It's good stuff. It's God showing Job or telling Job, really questioning Job and showing Job his power. But um, it's one of the best passages in all the Bible. Job 38 verse 1. He says, Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind, uh, cool, you know, that's sweet. Uh, and he said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you, Job, will instruct me. All right, so God shows up in this tornado, like whirlwind type thing, something we've never been able to see. Job, he's just sitting there questioning God, why, 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 this is not fair, this is not fair. It's really kind of all about him. And then this tornado thing pops up and starts talking to him, all right? Scary. Uh, Job's probably like, oh, man, what have I done? And, and God starts talking, and the first thing God says is, gird up your loins like a man. All right, now, I totally understand. That sounds a little weird, right? up your loins. What the heck does that mean? You know, don't. <laughs> the, uh, that actually, back in that culture, the um, men, when they would fight, they're wearing like robes and stuff, you know. Not cool, by the way. They're wearing robes. And so when they would fight, they would pull up the robes and tuck it into their belt so that they can move around and start wailing on each other, all right? That's how they did it. And so here's God in this tornado thing saying, hey, go, hey, Job, Tuck in your robe, Job, because we're gonna go a few rounds. Right? not the thing you want to hear from God's voice. And he's like, tuck in your robe like a like a man, because we're gonna fight. And he's like, and he says, Hey, Job, I'm gonna ask you the questions, and you're gonna answer me, because I'm God. Verse four. He says, Hey Job. He starts he starts peppering Job with all these questions, which which is sweet. He says, Hey, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding? Or who set its measurements? Since, since you know. Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Or when the morning stars they sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He's, and Job's basically, Job's basically saying, or not Job, God's basically saying, hey Job, I got, I got, I got some questions for you. Um, the first one, hey, where were you when I created the entire earth? Or who decided how big it was going to be? Questions that Job can't answer because it wasn't him, all right? And, and it's interesting because God kind of throws in like a little jab here. He's like, since I forgot, Job, you know. You know, since you know. He says that several times throughout this whole thing. Since you know everything, since you're the one who can question me, right? Since you know. Uh, here's some questions. I forgot, you know, can, can you remind me here? It's interesting. God describes the moment that he created the earth. And, um, and he talks about the sons of God shouting for joy as they watch um think about this like your uh, your favorite football team for me it's ohio state and i go down to the shoe in columbus love it got 105,000 people there and when ohio state scores a touchdown the fans erupt you guys can all picture that right maybe that's your team maybe it's not maybe some of you guys like the team up north and you have that too just less i guess because they score less touchdowns but um but yeah, that's but yeah, you okay, we all understand. But um but think about it. God's describing when he created the earth and you got and he's saying, "Hey, I have all these angels, they're watching me. And I'm just like, I'm going to create this earth, there's earth." And he's like, "I'm going to make it this big." And and the angels are like, "We've never seen anything like this before. This is sweet." You know, and they're just shouting for joy because they can't contain themselves. It's just like, whoa, what is that? That's crazy. Wow, do it again. Do something else. You know, they're just going nuts because they're watching God create the world. And God's describing, He's like, hey Job, were you there in that moment? Because I don't remember you being there. It's just funny. In verse 16, or, well, later he actually says, hey, were you the one who placed the ocean where you wanted it? Or you, are you the one who commands the morning? You're the one that, that, uh, that starts the day off. Are, you have that power to do that? In verse 16, he says this, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Hey, Job, have you gone to, like, the uttermost deepest parts of the earth in the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me, Job. Here he goes again. Tell me, Job, if you know all, all of this. You, you know this, right? Because you're the one questioning. Let's, let's move on. He says, can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. God's like, hey, does lightning present itself to you? He's like, hey, where do you want us to strike today? You know? He says, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the lions when they crouch in their dens and lie and wait in their lair? Who prepares the raven for it? Who prepares for the raven its nourishment? When it's young, they cry out to me, God, and wander about without food. Do you know the time the mountain goats give birth? Can you observe the calving of the deer? Can you count the months that they fulfill? Or do you know the time that they give birth? They kneel down, they bring forth their young, and they get rid of their labor pains, and their offspring become strong. And they grow up in the open field, and they leave, and they do not return to them. Basically, God's saying, hey... Check this out. You, you've seen the animals? Hey, I gave the animals, those, I gave the animals their strength. I was extremely creative when I created animals. He's like, but I also care about them. He's like, I also, I know exactly when they give birth. He's like, I watch it happen. He said, I watch them grow up. Who feeds them? Do you feed the wild animals, Job? I didn't, I didn't think so. I do that. He's saying, "I watch, I watch them grow up until they leave their parents." God's saying, "I give the animals strength, but I also care." In verse thirteen, uh, he, also, he he points out, several, he picks out several animals God does and talks about, and talks about the lion and like the the eagle, and he also t- he he talks about the ostrich. Okay, which if you think about it, is a really weird animal, right? It's a giant bird on. Big legs with a really weird neck and it can't fly. You know, it's just weird. This is what he says about the ostrich. He's like, Hey, Job, the ostrich's wings, they flap joyously with the pinion and plumage of love. For she abandons her egg to the earth and warms them in the dust. And she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may trample them. She treats her young cruelly as if they weren't even hers. Though her labor be in vain, she is unconcerned because God has made her forget wisdom and has not given her a share of understanding. But Job, when she lifts herself on high, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Ostriches, again, like I said, are, are weird. They're actually the second fastest land animal on our planet. Again, they're birds that can't fly. Um, and they're extremely powerful. They can kill a lion with one kick. Like these things are they're like vicious animals. Last, yesterday I was actually at an exotic animal auction. I took some high schoolers down to go get some Animals for our beast feast that's coming up in like a month, right? So we go down there, and I actually bought an ostrich yesterday. And those things are freaky. They're like, you know, their heads are like snakes, and they're following you. They, you know, it's like they want to kill you. And you know that, you know, they kick really hard too. But um, so I'm going to load, and you kind of got to load this stuff up on your own. They, they help you out a little bit. Um, so I, I get in line, and I go, and I'm, I'm going up to the barn where I'm going to to pick these things up and I hand this guy the the guy's like what are you looking for I'm like here's here's my receipt and he's looking at it. he's like an ostrich and I'm like yeah and you could just see he was disappointed he's just like oh I gotta move the ostrich and um and he actually went and did it which was awesome I didn't have to so I'm standing there and I'm waiting for this ostrich to come and there's a bunch of barns that are all connected and there's this like lane uh, in between some barns that, that goes for a pretty long while. You know, it, it runs the length of these barns. And I'm waiting for it to, and I know it's way at the end of this lane, and I'm waiting for it to come, and there's like people everywhere, and people are just walking around, and, and all of a sudden I, I see it. You know, it steps out into the lane, and it just starts barreling down this lane. And the people scatter. It was crazy. There's, like, kids and stuff in there. And people are, like, diving and jumping, you know, in between their fence posts. And there's, like, a dog in there. I don't even know what happened to the dog. It just disappeared. And this thing is just charging. People are like, ostrich is coming. You know, people are going crazy. There's, there's kids in there. The, the, the ostrich is the only thing that I've ever seen the Amish people run from. All right. Like, that's what, this is an Amish country, and these Amish people are like, I'm not messing with that thing. And we got it. We finally got it loaded in. And it's just a weird, it's just a weird dump. Literally, it's a dumb animal. And that's kind of what God's saying here. God's like, hey, check out the ostrich, Job. Now, I on purpose, because I'm creative, I didn't make the ostrich smart. He's like, the ostrich is dumb, man. It's dumb. I didn't give her wisdom. She doesn't have understanding. But he's like, but Job, have you ever seen the ostrich run? Have you ever watched the ostrich run? It's like it laughs at the horse as it passes it by. He's like, I made that. I created the ostrich. That's how I wanted it to be. I made that weird animal just the way I wanted it. Really, this whole thing, God is saying, hey, Job. You say you don't understand why you're going through this suffering. But Job, you don't understand a lot of things. The only thing, Job, that you need to understand is that I am God. I'm sitting on my throne, and I am good. He's like, look at all this that I have under control. And Job, I got your life under control as well. And and that's really something that we need to keep in mind is, guys, Job has us our lives under control too. It's funny because Job then answers God and, you know, he probably got it as soon as the tornado like sprang up and started talking to him. First question, he's like, oh, no, what have I done? You know, but he's, Job says, I've talked about things as if I understood. You're right. I have no place to question you, Lord. Verse 5 says this, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you, therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. He's basically saying, you're right, I'm nothing. This story, it really gives us a different perspective on suffering. It gives us God's perspective. And not that we won't ask why. I don't think it's wrong to ask why. Right? But what I'm saying is we shouldn't get mad at God when he chooses not to answer us the way that we want him to. See, God is so far above us that we're literally nothing. That's what Job's saying. We're dust and ashes. Um, but even though We are nothing. For some reason, God still cares. In the New Testament, God promises to use every situation in our life for good. Whether the situation seems good or bad. If we're Christians, he's saying, he can use every situation in our life for good. And really, in the end of the story, God gives Job more than he had. More sons and daughters, more wealth, more children. You know, I feel like when the storm comes in our life, and life gets messy... And we don't know what to do. We don't know who to go to. We don't know how long it's going to last. And above all, we don't know why. We don't know why. Why is this happening? The thing we need to realize is God does. God knows why. And he doesn't always tell us. Notice in this whole thing, God never tells Job. He is like three, four chapters of of talking, God does. And God never tells Job about the situation up in heaven. He never tells Job about the scene with him between his conversation between him and Satan. He never tells Job that. He chooses not to. God doesn't always tell us why. He doesn't tell us what's going on on purpose because he has reasons that are far above what we could, you know, what we could understand. But we can always rest in the fact on two things. God is all-powerful, and that God is all-good, that he is both. And that's what we see through this story. And and really just knowing that, that brings us hope. When we're going through those tough times in our life, and maybe some of you guys are going through that right now, there's hope. God is all-powerful and that he is all-good. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. Thank you for everything. Um, Lord, Thank you for being all-powerful and all-good and caring for us, because you don't have to, but you do anyway. Lord, we love you, and, and help us to, to rest in you and look towards you when we're going through hard times in life, because it's hard. And life, life is rough. God, thank you for being there for us when you don't have to be. And thank you for loving us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.